0: You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris-style podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Orr and Shotgun Spratling.
1: Welcome to the Family Feud podcast. I'm Keely Orr here alongside Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun, we got a lot to talk about. We thought we were just going to talk about the Cotton Bowl, kind of recap that, but then... Sam the man, Sam Darnold, announced this week that he is going pro. He's going to enter the NFL draft, so we got a lot to talk about this episode.
0: Yep, definitely. I mean, uh, we thought these these decisions might come a little bit later, next week, but apparently Sam Darnold knew what he wanted to do uh, and went ahead and pulled the trigger yesterday, or not yesterday, but earlier this week, along with Josh Rosen, uh, and then also Jordan Ladsley from UCLA at the same time. Uh, so uh, there's three or four UCLA players already made their mind up. They had a couple more days than USC guys, but Sam Darnold just 20 minutes after Josh Rosen, so it made it very interesting. And you know they've been talked at uh, it's been talked about ad nauseum about those two guys, kind of comparing them side by side, and then for them to go and, and make their announcements you know, in two different ways on Twitter and Instagram. So I know somebody was thinking about that. Like, Why would one guy use Twitter? Why one, one guy use Instagram? Because they're just so linked with each other, you know, being the two L.A. quarterbacks. Uh, so it will be interesting to see, you know, what the Browns do and what some of those other teams, you know, who tries to trade up to, to get one of those guys, which guy goes first, which guy gets a better situation. You know, if it's between the Giants and the Browns, the Giants is a much better situation. But you never know what's going to happen. You know, you want to be that number one pick. You know, there's a lot of – uh, Caché would be the number one guy, but also a lot of pressure. So we'll see how that all plays out. But, you know, we're going to talk about the USC stuff too. Yeah, I mean uh, – let's, let's get into that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, one, one little side note. Someone tweeted to me that Darnold made a bad decision because he'll probably have to sit on the bench. And I'm like, you and I have both talked about this. That's probably the best-case scenario for Darnold because it would benefit him a lot to sit behind someone and learn from a, an experienced QB, an experienced coach – NFL coach so I don't know if whoever tweeted me that was right but I think it would definitely benefit Darnold if he could learn versus get thrown into a position where he's now the number one guy but Darnold has surprised us us, so who knows
0: yeah that was one that you know that was basically what I had said previously is that I thought would be the best scenario for him is if he was going to go out to be sitting behind somebody you know whether it be you know Philip Rivers with the Chargers and they're going to be looking for a quarterback or you know even Eli Manning with the Giants. You know, similar to the Aaron Rodgers situation where he, you know, got the tutoring from Brett Favre before taking over that job. You see how good he has been now. So, you know, I think that would be the, the best-case scenario for him. But also, if he goes to the Browns, you know, that'd be the the, 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 number, the, the cachet of being the number one pick and the money that comes with that. And, you know, Sam is used to those expectations, having been around USC the last uh, year and a half uh, as the starting quarterback. So I don't think he'll wilter like some of those other quarterbacks have done in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um well, let's get into this game. 24-7 loss to Ohio State. It was a frustrating one from a USC fan's perspective. I, I feel like this game was a very much shoulda, coulda, woulda.
0: Okay. Oh, definitely.
1: It was the pinnacle, shoulda, coulda, woulda, which is interesting because USC's offense, I feel like this season has been shoulda, coulda, woulda. If you looked at the scores, there was so much left on the field if you actually looked into what happened in the game. So it's it's funny that this is the game where that was like the pinnacle of that. Um. Any general thoughts before we get into stock- stock down?
0: I mean, it's kind of fitting in that regard that this is the pinnacle. I mean, you, you build up to this bowl game. You have four weeks to prepare for it, and it's very similar and just kind of an extrapolation of how the season had gone uh, and then playing a, you know, against a very good opponent instead of being able to you know, beat a Colorado when you're not playing great or something. You're going to lose to an Ohio State when you don't play great. And USC moved the ball really well. But, I mean, the, the one stat that stands out in my mind more than any other, they have got into Ohio State territory eight times. They came away with seven points. I mean, that's just not going to cut it ever.
1: Yeah, that's just bad. That's a telling stat right there. Okay, let's get into stock up. Who do you got?
0: Stock up the, the receivers. I mean, mm-hmm. Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughn's making great catches. Uh, you know, that, that group – uh, if Deontay Burnett does come back as expected, you know, if you potentially, you know, you get Jody Lewis in the mix, you get some of those young guys, get them in the mix, you potentially add Amon Ross St. Brown to this group, then, you know, this group has, you know, just tons of potential going in the next season. Uh, even if Sam Darnold is not the quarterback.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And really, I keep saying this, it makes you wonder how much, uh, if Tyler Vons would, if he started from the beginning of the season, if he got rest with Darnold, got that chemistry, if Pittman didn't have an ankle injury, does Darnold's stats look better in the beginning of the season? Who knows? But I think that it definitely makes a difference. Also, props to Pittman. His girlfriend tweeted this, but I kind of, I told you, I kind of had an idea because I saw him coming out of the X-ray room. He broke his thumb on one of the plays where he was extending and then continued to play the rest of the game. And and whenever you play through a painful injury like that, definite stock up props for Michael Pittman.
0: (laughs) Yeah, on the play where he made the one-handed catch, you know, the first kind of big play for USC in the first half to, to get them out of the red zone. I mean, out of the uh, the shadow of the goal so in their own end zone. Uh, and apparently, I, you kind of see him flexing a little bit. On you know, I try to watch and see if there's anything that really happened, but you can't really. There doesn't seem to be anything evident as you know. Oh, he got stepped on, or oh, this is what this is what happened. Uh, but then also, you know, you had seen him go to the X-ray room. I saw that before the half ended, you know, the clock was kind of winding down. It was only like 20 seconds early, but they were trying to run Pittman early into the locker room. Uh, So, you know, we were kind of on the lookout to see if anything was wrong with him. And he just continued to play. He played the rest of that series where he actually had the injury. He continued to play and, you know, played pretty well. Had a couple more catches after that so big props to him for playing through the injury i know he's gone through a couple different things with his hands so it'd be nice to see him if he can get healthy going into the spring and have an opportunity to you know have a full spring which is something he didn't have last year and then again in the fall when he got injured with the ankle so it'd be nice to see him get healthy and be healthy for a stretch to to vary to improve his uh, abilities and and get that um get in sync with the next quarterback, the next quarterbacks, I guess, that will be taking (laughs) over USC since there's going to be a competition uh, starting in the spring.
1: Yeah, I'm not really mentally there yet. I think Sam is still at (laughs) USC in my head, so that's going to take a little bit of switching to happen. Um, I also have Ohio State's D-line on stock
0: up. Oh, definitely, definitely.
1: (laughs) I mean, there's ever a stock up. I think it's for them. Um, you and I were standing, we happened to be standing randomly on the field and that's exactly where Ohio State's D-line decided to start warming up. And that was, I, <laughs> I told you from the beginning, I was so impressed with their D-line. I was like, these are big guys. And you're like, calm down. They're not that big. I'm like, no, these are big guys. And it was just impressive. They were so together, so organized in their warmups. I was like, okay, that this is going to be a difficult challenge for USC because I hadn't seen their D-line up close um, prior to that moment, so I knew from that moment it was going to be a tough challenge for USC's line, and it definitely proved to be that um, during the game. So, definite stock up for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they were they were tremendous in that game. You know, they got great jumps off the ball, and the fact that they could rotate guys in and keep everyone fresh. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was the one position group where they had a real advantage against USC. And, you know, that was one position group where they dominated against USC. So I give a lot of pre- uh, credit to that group. You know, that was the, the group that Ohio State was going to lean on. And they did. And, you know, they were, were a main reason that that team was so successful in the Cotton Bowl. I got uh, Uchina Nwosu and Rasheem Green, USC's pass rush to- yep. duo on the so other side I. for stock up. Uh, Uchenna Nwosu, you know, was healthy. And you saw what he could do. I mean, both of those guys abused Billy Price, the all, All-American center. The you know He had been a second-team All-American guard last year, moved to center this year, won the Remington Award as the best center in the nation. Is going to be a, a pretty good draft pick. And on a couple of plays, those guys just dominated that d- Billy Price. So uh, you should have known, his first sack, he goes right through Billy Price, just kind of uh, knocks him backwards. Uh, and then goes and gets JT Barrett. So, you know, both of those guys were, were very good in that game and, and definitely boosted their draft stock. We'll see. We still haven't heard from Rasheem Green as of, re- as of our recording. though. Uh, so <laughs> we think he could be a guy that could also test the waters going in the NFL. And Nawosu I uh, saw yesterday that he got his invite to the Combine, so he'll be there and hoping to, you know, showcase his abilities to potentially move up. Maybe even a late first round guy. You know, I've heard a lot of buzz from from different places. So, you know, I was thinking he probably would be a second or third round guy with the production he had this year. But you know, maybe he, he's a guy that could be a combine booster. You know, I think he could potentially move up to the back end of that first round and be, you know, a, a good steal for someone. But uh, with, with the way he's produced this last year and a half.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in the end of the day, the round doesn't really matter. I mean, you didn't go the first round, and look at what he's done in the NFL. Um, but it's just really cool to see you to have that success on such a big stage. That first sack, did you see that he was lined up behind the D-line?
0: So they, they moved Utena Wilson around this season. You know, he's done some different things where he'll line up as a true linebacker. He'll come off the edge. He'll come, you know, he'll be in the middle even. Like similar to the way that USC's kind of, you know, puts Kim Smith and John Houston right at the line in the middle and then kind of backed him up or, you know, had the blitz. You know they've done that with Uchenna Nwosu, so he's kind of been in a semi, you know, a linebacker slash even in kind of a nose tackle role. Even though he doesn't have his hand on the ground, you know he's coming right up the middle. And in that first sack, they actually lined him up as basically the middle linebacker. Cam Smith was was spread out on a receiver, and he he just blitzed it and came right through there and dominated Billy Price on that one to get the first sack. Uh, you know he had a, I think he had two sacks technically. He had another one where he pulled J.T. Barrett down like right at the line. Uh, didn't get credit for the sack on that one, uh, but you know he he had a really good game. Machine Green also was you know used was showcasing what we've kind of seen all season. And if people hadn't been watching him, he's been really good for for USC as well.
1: Yeah, and that since I had Clancy slash the defense as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Clancy had a great game plan coming in. Um, of course, you have to give the caveat that USC's offense didn't really do much to have uh, Ohio State kind of get out of cruise control in the second half, but still they, they kept him scoreless in the second half. Um, also, a season low in yards, third down conversions, and plays. So as far as stats, it looks pretty. It was a pretty game, and it was just such a shame that they were. it was such a complete defensive performance that USC's offense just couldn't get it going. And I think that's why it's so frustrating. Um, but, but back to the point, Clancy, defense as a whole, stock up.
0: Yeah, definitely. I got the Rose Bowl. I mean, two straight years, just fantastic games, just back and forth. I got to be there this year for the Rose Bowl after not being there last year. Uh, so it was just so much fun to, to see those two teams go at it, Georgia and Oklahoma. So I have the Rose Bowl being the, the true granddaddy of them all the last two seasons, you know, putting together just terrific games going that go down the wire into double overtime this year. First time the Rose Bowls went to overtime, and it was a special one.
1: It was it was weird because usually when I see your game tweets, it's like oh I'm there. So I was sitting at home like this is so boring. I want to be there. So I felt like if you were there, I should have been there. But that's just me. Um, I also had John Houston on StockUp. I thought he played a good game.
0: Uh, I thought he had a good game. Yes. Well, I got one more for uh, for actually for basketball. I got Jordan Usher, the you know, the basketball freshman. You know, I'm gonna throw a little basketball in there as well. Oh. Okay. Uh, you know, he's been playing really well and, and has really you know given this team a boost coming off the bench. So uh, I think he's a guy that's coming into his own. You see in that that freshman, you know halfway through the freshman season, you see guys either really take a step up or kind of you know hit the wall and fall down. And I think he's a guy that's really taken off.
1: Yeah. Speaking of basketball, that's why if you hear all this extra noise, shotgun is traveling, and that's why we're not in our usual semi-quiet environment. So once again, blame it on shotgun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's it. I'm I'm around all the travelers here at the at the airport because everybody's going back and forth.
1: It's true. Um, is this time to insert a stock neutral?
0: Nope, there's no such thing as a stock neutral. Yes,
1: there is. This one is specifically a stock neutral because he was in stock down. But because of his decision, I had to move him to stock neutral because I just couldn't put him in stock down for his last game as Trojan, Sam Darnold. I had him in stock down. <laughs> yeah, so I had to put him in stock neutral because I just couldn't do that to say for all he's done for USC. But in this specific game, he just seemed way too tight. He didn't look like he, I mean, Helton pulled him over and said, you just got to play ball. Just play ball. Because even Donald told me this after the ASU game. Sometimes he just gets too much in his head. He plays too tight. He doesn't read things well. And that's what was happening. His reads weren't good. He missed a wide-open Deontay in the end zone to start the fourth. There's, there's so many things that he could have connected with uh, wide receivers on that didn't, and it ended up costing the game, especially the turnovers. I mean, that was something that nagged him all year, and that's what happened in this game. Um, but then I had to put him in stock neutral because he made some outstanding throws, too. It was a Sam Darnold game where he you do things where you're like, Sam, why are you doing that? And then some no. where you're like, Sam, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, so... I oh. had to do it. I had to do a stock neutral for
0: Sam Darnold. There, there's no such thing as a stock neutral. There is. Uh,
1: someone no. tweeted me, Team Stock Neutral. We're out there.
0: No, there's a no group. it's not happening. Get there's out of here with that mess. We're an RV. We're strong. You can put them in the up or you put them in the down. You can choose which one. You can make an argument. However, there's no such thing as stock neutral. That just means the stock did not change. There's no stock neutral. There it is. would be stock unchanged.
1: No. I have I have.
0: No. People it's terrible. Terrible way. decision. No? no. Anyways, can we go to stock down? Let's sure. talk about the bad stuff. Go. Let's start with Neil Calloway. I got you in stock (laughs) down, Neil, because, you know. Wow, a direct call
1: out. A direct call out to Neil.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Neil, this offensive line play was just atrocious. I mean, there's not really any other way to put it. Uh, The offensive line was not prepared, you know, whether it was the defensive line and Ohio State's linebackers, where they were reading the plays or they, you know, they were tipping their plays or when they were running it or what, I'm not sure. Maybe they just had so much film study that, you know, and maybe it's not Callaway's fault. Maybe it's the offensive system itself that they had done so much film study. They knew exactly when plays were going to be because the offensive line didn't have a chance a lot of times. There were times when they were trying to run uh, outside zone plays and the backside blockers were trying to get across and cut the face of the linebackers, and they had no chance because the linebackers were already beating them to the spot. Uh, There were also times when the offensive line just was slow to react, you know, off the ball. Um, you know, I, don't think, I don't know if you know, there was, the defensive line was timing you know, Nico follows snaps or exactly what it was, but the offensive line, when you give up eight sacks, that comes on the offensive line coach. So Neil Calloway is definitely in stock down.
1: What I don't understand is we heard from guys post-game that there was communication errors, that there were issues as far as communicating and being on the same page, and I don't understand how that happens at this point in the season. I mean, if you go back to the UCLA game, that was the game that they were supposed to run all over UCLA. I mean, we all knew U- UCLA's horrible run defense, and yet they couldn't do it. Why Why is this happening at this point in the season, and why can't they get it together when they had four weeks to prepare? You know, isn't that concerning, yeah. having those miscommunication errors at this point?
0: Yeah, and that's what Dr. Ware said. You know, the reason why the run game couldn't get going is we weren't all on the same page. How? What? What? How are you guys not on the same page at this point in the season? We just had four weeks. You should be, you should never be on. You should be on the best page that you've ever been on. You know, when you have four weeks to prepare for a game, uh, it just did not make a lot of sense. You know, there were some communication errors and there were some just beats. Um, you know, and like you said, the UCLA game, they didn't run the ball like they, you know, was expected. I was expecting, you know, maybe Ronald Jones to run for two hundred and somebody else to run for hundred, or you know, maybe even three three players running for hundred. I think they got, like, 150 yards total. I mean, UCLA was giving up almost 300 yards a game uh, on the ground, and they couldn't do anything that that other teams have been able to do. And the bad thing is, like, they had been playing well before that. That stretch leading up to that, it seemed like they had the cohesion finally. You know, Andrew Voorhees getting thrown into the mix for Vianney Talamavayo And, you know, this getting situated and Chuma Adoga coming back and getting a little bit healthier. But then you you have the same five guys in the – In the cotton bowl and they did not play very well together.
1: Yeah, which begs the question if you a lot of fans are calling for Neil Callaway to be fired. And what I don't what I don't understand or what I can't figure out in my head is do you if you're a fan, do you want him fired and have the sixth O line coach in seven years? Is it that bad that you want that that change? Or do you just hope that another year consistency will somehow fix this? I mean, where do you go if you're trying to solve this?
0: Well, you have consistency from last year, so you've had him for two years now, and you would say that there was a regression on the offensive line as a whole. Well, could you I argue agree that you have there three were three guys injuries? that go to the NFL, yeah? And but there was expected to be a lot of veteran guys on that line, and you know some of those guys just didn't perform as well as they did in previous uh, years, so. Uh, you know, that's where you have to look at. I don't call for anyone's job because, you know, that's a lot uh, to to ask of of a fan to, to be able to say that, hey, you know, this guy needs to be fired or not. So I, I don't think that it's my job to call for anyone's. But they have to make some kind of adjustment uh, there and figure out something to be a more consistent unit. You know, they shouldn't be able to run for 500 yards in one game and then not be able to run the ball at all in another game.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, I have stocked down on Daniel Imadabebe. I don't know if this is more an indictment on him and his blocking ability or the blocking scheme because why are you putting up a tight end against Nick Bosa or Sam Hubbard? I mean, on that first Nick Bosa sack, he made this, like, you're putting a tight end on me? Kind of, like, shrug, and the TV cameras caught it. And it's like I have the same – I agree, Nick Bosa. Why is there a tight end trying to block you? I don't understand – um, why you're giving Daniel Baby that assignment when he struggled in that area this season, and then not really getting him involved in the passing game um, as much as you could have. If you're gonna have him out there, why not use him more? I just don't understand um, that whole scheme to try and get him involved in that way. Why not use his strengths? Um, or why have him block such hard defensive ends in the first place? I don't know.
0: Well, let's start with the first point. Why, why is he blocking Nick Bosa? Because he had help. It was him and Ronald Jones, two guys. Okay, okay. You're your college D1 players. You should be able to block another guy. Come on. There's two of you.
1: Okay, agreed. The, agreed. You guys
0: got a man up. And, and like, I'm not going to blame this game on that. When you have help. Okay, you but have there a was second a, guy.
1: There was a lot of other plays where Daniel was pulling and being the lead blocker on plays or something like that, and it's like, why are you making Daniel do that? I just didn't understand. But But – because anyway, they don't have
0: a fullback, so you got to use somebody. So okay. they have to have a lead blocker. Uh, and then to the second part, uh, to the second part, yes. why is Daniel Morabay not more involved in the pass, uh, pass offense is because he was open at times and Sam didn't hit him. There were times where part of it was the pass rush, where Sam had to hit a underneath guy quicker. There was one uh, in particular, I think it was a Deontay Burnett, like a five-yard game on a, on a drag across the middle. Whereas if he had maybe a second more, Daniel Bebe is coming wide open because the DB was trying to hold on to him. He just threw him off of him. He comes across the middle for a first down. It it was a play where USC um, did not pick up a first down on the play, and they would have if they would have been able to throw to Daniel Bebe, and might have even got a touchdown out of it it because there was plenty of green grass in front of him. Now maybe one of the DBs was able to catch him from behind, but it would have been a big game. Um, And there was a couple other times where he was open and Sam just couldn't find him or didn't have the time to find him. Uh, So, you know, I think that was part of the reason why his passing numbers went down this year is that they just weren't on the same page uh, like they were last year.
1: Yeah, I I also think (laughs) he's he's a guy who the injury really cost Darnold and his numbers. But why don't – okay, so Daniel had a slant in the fourth quarter. It was over the middle. Why not not get the middle of the field more involved? If Ohio State's showing six guys at the line – why aren't you getting that part of the field more involved? They didn't really use it until, I think it was that one Daniel play that I just mentioned. Why not use him, why not use Daniel more in the middle? Not enough time because of the, the O-line? Like, I don't understand why that wasn't utilized more.
0: I mean, I, I think they used, they use Deontay Burnett more over the middle than the Daniel because they were keeping the tight ends in more to block uh, and then getting them that one-on-one battle with Nick Bosa on, a t- on occasion. Um, but... You know, I think they were trying to, to use because they were getting man-to-man coverage on the outside to give those those slot receivers an opportunity to to be the ones over the middle. They did, they did a lot of stuff over the middle. They looked over the middle at least. Um, so that, that's why a lot of those passes were, you know, when they weren't going deep, it were five-yard crossing patterns and stuff, and then trying to pick up yardage after that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. They just, mm, I have I have issues with this game in the office. <laughs> uh, who you got for stockdown?
0: Uh, the USC offensive creati- creativity excuse me, with no Darnold next year. I think the creativity is going to go down. You're going to mm. lose you know, those plays where he's getting rushed and he just makes something happen. So then you're going to see even more so the, uh, the onus is going to be on that offensive line because Sam Darnold's not going to be able to bail them out as much. Now Matt Fink and Jack Sears and potentially JT Daniels, those guys all have some escapability. But none of them are Darnold. Let's not even come close to, you know, putting them in the same class in that regard. And the way he can make throws, you know, off is, you know, where he's not set and everything else. You're not going to have that next year. So, you know, what are they going to do? JT Daniels is a tremendous quarterback if you can give him a clean pocket. He'll just pick teams apart. Uh, not saying that he's going to be the guy to take over the job, but – you know, but couldn't they give a guy a clean pocket long enough. So you're gonna see, you're gonna lose some of that creativity that you had with Darnold this year. Uh, so I'm curious to see if they make some changes to the offense. Do, do you do some different stuff? I mean, I think you're gonna have to without you know being able to just say, hey, Sam, go go rescue us, go go make plays.
1: I mean, how much creativity was there to begin with?
0: I mean, I'm just saying his creativity, okay. him to be able to create stuff on his own. Uh, I I just think that you're not going to have that next year. So you're going to have to scheme it next year rather than having him do it. And I think that was kind of the thing. is just kind of, all right, Sam, you go do your thing, and we'll let that be our creativity. Next year you got to scheme it open, and uh, we'll see if they can do that.
1: Which that in itself is a problem, but we don't have time for that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's
0: a full another show.
1: Yeah, I have stocked out on SEC Reps. Like, I thought because it wasn't going to be Pac-12 rests, I wouldn't have refs in my stock down. But SEC rest, stock down, that's st- that Stephen Mitchell P.I. Um, it completely kills any momentum that USC had in the middle of third. I'm talking about the one in the end zone where I was, like, right <laughs> next to. If you, go, if you go in the, the, the broadcast and they do the replay before commercial, I'm just casually chilling there while uh, Stephen Mitchell's just falling on the ground. Um, and also, the, the Stephen Mitchell play before that, were obvious PIs, and they didn't call it. And it, those when USC's offense is just not working, it's not um, functional or have a fl- it doesn't have a flow to it, those type of calls just kill any momentum that USC is desperately trying to have. And so I had to give stock down to, to SEC refs.
0: Yeah, and, and the difference was that Pac-12 referees call pretty much everything. Yeah. There was a lot of grabbing and holding that, got, that didn't get called. Uh, Billy Price was... You know, got, away, got a hold on the JT Barrett touchdown run. The uh, second one, uh, Josh Fatu was just throwing his arms up. and came, You know, he was uh, complaining for a while. I saw you, you know, after the Stephen Mitchell missed PI in the end zone for like the next three plays, you know, was like walking out on the field, like talking to the refs. Like he, he was just in disbelief at how bad that they had missed that call. Uh, and they kind of let that stuff get away. Jeffrey Okuda, the, the freshman DB for Ohio State, Several times, you know, was kind of grabbing and holding on to guys. And, you know, USC's second drive after the first fumble to to Deontay Burnett, the second drive is like third and 17. Stephen Mitchell basically gets clotheslined by Okuda, and they don't call anything there. Uh, Their next drive is the, the Deontay Burnett catch, not a catch, you know, where he clearly has the ball on the ground, and then the guy rips it out. And they said there was no catch. You know, I don't know if it's the surviving the ground, if, if it's the NFL rules. Um, but So that kills that drive. And then on Ohio State's scoring drive, they had a third down, and Rasheem Green gets uh, – you know, the offensive lineman gets his hands up in Rasheem Green's face, there's no flag there. That's three drives that could have been complete, drastically different if the referees called flags a different way um, or called plays a different way and, and threw a flag on a couple of those. And then you never know that that could the game could be a completely different game because say USC scores on one of those two drives and say Ohio State has to kick a field goal it's seven three instead of you know being seven nothing and Ohio State soon gets a, another touchdown to make it fourteen nothing I mean it changes the complexion of the game drastically and that's what happens when officials you know call one way and a team doesn't I guess the, you know you could say the team didn't make enough adjustments to that uh, because you know they were gonna let stuff go. Uh, they were going to let plays play out and they weren't going to throw a lot of flags. And, you know, that didn't, that didn't help out USC at all.
1: Yeah. That's why this is the shoulda, coulda, woulda game, because I feel like any one of those plays could have changed the outcome of the game. Not, maybe not the outcome of the game, but the trajectory of the game or anything like you just listed. It was, it was just crazy.
0: Um, and yeah And you look at the Steven Mitchell, that would have been a touchdown. It would have been uh, 24 to 14 It's a 10 point game. Now I believe that was in the third quarter. So Uh, late in the third quarter. So you have a full quarter and maybe three or four minutes. I don't remember exactly when it was, but you have that and you all of a sudden you're like, okay, the offense can do something. And as I've said so many times, it's 18 to 22 year olds, give them a little bit of something to grab onto and they'll, you know, they become a different person. Uh, You know, they're they're volatile emotionally. So you give them something to latch onto and they can become a different person and they play better. And that could have easily have happened. But instead, Nothing went mm-hmm. USC's way. I think uh, there was a – did they have a fumble on that drive not too long after that? Or it, I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe they had to punt on that one. But there was one other one where there was a play that wasn't called. and was fu- uh, There was a fumble a couple plays later. So that's the kind of things that happened to USC. You know, a lot of things that you know definitely, as you said, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Something would happen. And instead of anything going USC's way, it seemed like pretty much nothing went USC's way.
1: Yeah. I also had special teams. I mean, they're honorary members of Down. I Down. It's just not good. <laughs> um, for as long as they practice, they practice at least an hour of practice. Um, just For the amount that they practice, they have a special teams coach. You wouldn't know that based on how they perform. I mean, you have a missed field goal. You have both punts and a kickoff out of bounds. You have horrible kick returns. I mean, you don't reach the 20, I think, on three consecutive returns. And this was a team that Urban Meyer was very critical of in their special teams and their kick returns. And USC just couldn't get it going. So it just, it was stock down for them. I don't know. I don't know what needs to happen there, but that's another area where USC needs to figure out in the offseason how they get that on the right track.
0: Ohio State is a team that overloads their, their kickoff. You know, they had one guy that was kind of uh, on the other side of the logo on midfield and, you know... USC continually try to run it into the same side where all 10 of their, their coverage guys are running to the one time when they try to get out to the, the other side, out left now uh, Bayless Jones did have to break a tackle at the eight yard line because somebody missed a block, but then he had like 30 yards where no one touched him. Uh, why did you not run that way? You ran five times, you had five kickoffs and three of them went to the, the right. The other one that you returned went to the left and actually gained yards. The three that went to the, the right uh, were all inside the, I think, 18 yard line. I mean, it was just, it was just didn't make any sense. Why would you not just, why not run the, uh, the away where, the spot where there are not defenders? Just doesn't make sense. Why not do that?
1: How does that happen? I don't understand how you don't make that adjustment.
0: No, I don't. know. I, I have never returned a kick, so I don't know if they thought, hey, if we just get past this one line, then there's going to be something wide open. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Um, I also had stock down on tempo slash urgency, um, multiple times in the game. I know you and I were both critical of the end of the third, um, when they just wasted that time. Um, especially like, why not treat the end of the third, like a two minute drill, you know, USC does better when they go up tempo. Um, why not try and do that? I mean, maybe because the line couldn't go that fast. Um, but you I, when darnell's in his head this much and the offense is trying so hard to get something going and it seems so stiff why not put them up tempo and try to just get them to do muscle memory and do get out of their comfort zone to get something going i don't know but they wasted so much time at the end of the third and then the last drive of the game was 6 minutes long and you don't even end with a score i mean it was just it was just mind boggling um someone texted me a former player texted me do they know that it's the end of the game and they, they're not gonna it's not the game-winning drive and I was like it doesn't look like it because they're just they're they're not playing with urgency and it was it was just not a good look especially when your defense had played so hard for the whole game
0: maybe somebody just said 14-7 on the sideline so they're like oh yeah we're just gonna score a touchdown <laughs> and they just didn't know no it, it made no sense uh the the there was no urgency there. I actually had that in my change it, just had mm. tempo with two exclamation points, which is a lot of exclamation points for me. Yeah, it, is. Uh, it just did not make sense. It was a minute and 39 seconds left in the third quarter. They ran two plays. You're down three scores. What are you doing? Go, get up on the ball and go. You get a first down. You, like Especially the last play, I said, oh, there's a, I think it was 30-something seconds left, and they didn't run a play at all. You get up on the ball, you you run the play, and it was a third down, grinning, hey, you want to get the right call. But you get the right call, you get a first down, you get another play. That's an extra play that you just got uh, by running. Instead, they lost two plays by not running a play, two potential plays. Uh, And then, you know, that's how you get back in the game is, oh, you score. Now there's 14 minutes left in the game, and you've got it down to 10 points. You can score 10 points in 14 minutes. But you can't if you don't try to go after – you know, go for it, and they're just – waited and they, you know, they looked to the sideline. You know, I probably will look, you know when I do my full notes, I might look and see how much time actually they wasted looking over the sideline after being set, being set and then seeing what's going on with the defense. Let's look to the sideline and see what's going on. I, it, would just, uh, it was mind-boggling to me. It just There was no urgency. It's just like they quit. It basically looked like the coaching staff had said, this isn't going to work. We're just going to try to run the clock out. We'll try to pick up yards as we go. Maybe some good things will happen, but there's not really a chance of winning. So we'll just go at this tempo that's not going to – that has no chance of getting you three scores in the game.
1: Yeah, I just don't understand that. To quote a now ASU coach, you play to win the game. Why aren't you – (laughs) like, you don't lose anything by trying to score. I don't understand. I just don't understand. We've said it multiple times, just mind-boggling.
0: Hey, you lost 24-7 and people think you got beat down. Yeah. If you lose – 31 to 7 or 34 or 38 to 7 hey people are still gonna think you got beat down yeah. so what does it matter go for it exactly. you have a tremendous quarterback let him be tremendous let him have a chance instead Nah, we'll check check with me check with me everybody check with me
1: yeah I I don't I don't understand it it's just especially now in hindsight that was Darnold's last drive last game it's just <laughs> it's just dumb uh, anything else for stock down? You got
0: last stock down. I got one hoops is the defensive intensity. <laughs> uh, you know, I got throw hoops in there. The defensive intensity is just it's so up and down. They got to figure that out. Uh, but let's move on to hurt it on the sidelines.
1: Ooh, I got a lot. I'm excited for hurt it on the sidelines. First one that <laughs> I'm trying open- to get through them. Yeah, we will get them. Don't worry. First one I got was um, the media check in. Me and Shotgun were just two peas in a pod, just going through the whole Jerry's world together. Um, and so, usually, when we check in, people are like, mm, Shotgun, is that your real name? They give Shotgun a lot of <laughs> grief for the name Shotgun, which, I mean, understandable, but still. So, we're checking in for our media little thingies, and the guy goes, Shotgun? Oh, you fit right in in Texas. And it was just so <laughs> funny because, like, usually, I'm so used to people being like, mm, was grumbly about the name Shotgun, which it's his name. Who cares? But this guy was very pleased by your name Shotgun, and I thought it was pretty amusing.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna start with her on the sidelines. But just AT and T is huge. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. <laughs> I literally got lost for 20 minutes. Now, now part of it is AT and T does not have good signage telling you how to get the press box. It's true. But I got lost for 20 minutes walking around because keely and Dan were on the field doing instant analysis. I'm like, oh, I'll go up to the press box. And I ended up on the wrong side of the stadium. The lady that I was like, Oh, which way do I go? She sent me to the elevator. I went up and I just wandered around until eventually I asked somebody else. They're like, No, you're on the, you gotta go to the other side of the stadium. And then I went to the other side and I'm like, All right, now how do I because there's no the the levels are all like the star suites level or the hall of fame suites level. There doesn't say, there's not just like, oh, PB, press box. There's nothing like that. You're on a suite level and you have to find the right one. So it was kind of confusing and hard, but AT&T is huge. Yeah, there's plenty of, plenty of room to get lost in.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know when you go to the ocean and you're like, wow, I feel so small and insignificant. That's how you feel in Jerry's world. You're just like, wow, there's I'm so small. I mean, the screen is massive. For the Alabama game, I walked in there like, mm, everybody talks about the screen. Let me really see if it's a big deal. And I was just mesmerized. It's one of those things where your jaw just drops <laughs> open and you're like, oh. It was just, it's, it's pretty fun. It's like a big playground. Um,
0: it's interesting seeing some of the players on the sidelines. Like I have some pictures from games where they're like, Tyler Vaughn's catching balls on the sideline, right in front of players and they're all looking up at the screen <laughs> to see what's going on. Instead of looking right in front of them where the play is happening, they're looking up to see it develop on the big screen. That's hilarious. I also had, you know, there was a play, there was a specific play where USC uh, motioned Deontay Burnett into t- uh, the right side and then sprinted out to the right side. When Deontay Burnett motioned, the the defense, someone on the defensive sideline, I was over on the Ohio State sideline, someone yells, sprint out, sprint out, sprint out, and they were exactly right. Uh, so – Obviously, there, were, there was something that Ohio State had done enough research on USC's plays that they knew exactly when USC was going to run certain things. And uh, you know, they were calling it out on the sideline, which kind of tells you something.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I thought the vibe was definitely interesting during the game because the defense, and you and I talked about this, and you said, of course, that the defense has to be more huddled together. But the defense just seemed more together and more co- cohesive as a unit versus the offense you know, Darnold is off to his side. Different players kind of spread out on the bench, the benches. It just had such a different vibe where you could see where the defense was totally together, totally motivated, and yet um, the offense kind of just seemed separate but whole, if you will. It was just such a different comparison, and then seeing what that looks like on the field, um, it was interesting seeing how they were tra- both sides of the ball were handling this tough game.
0: And I think part of that is you look at the the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator. One's in the booth, one's on the on the field. Uh, I think that plays into it a little bit. I think just that defensive unit. There's a lot of veteran leaders, and they, you know, they are, are really rally that group together. Offense, you know, that's that's uh, been a question mark all year. We talked about it several times. Like who's going to be the, the vocal leader on that on that group? Uh, that's something that has to change next year. If the offense is going to do something without Sam Darnold, someone has to step up, be that vocal guy, and. You know, kind of uh, bring that group together because you know, like you said, there's some times where there's just it's not that cohesion like you see on the defensive side.
1: Mm-hmm. Anything else for for her on the sidelines?
0: I actually got a couple from from the Rose Bowl being there. You know, I, I got <laughs> to chat. Doesn't count. With, yes, it counts. I got to chat with Garrison Hurst, which was cool. Uh, you know, uh, it was a Georgia running back when I was watching them growing up, which was, was kind of interesting. He, it was interesting just asking him. I was like, oh, this is a great game. It was late in the game. He's like, I don't like it. I don't like it. it's too close. <laughs> I can't stand this. And I, I just thought it was hilarious. You know, these guys are such competitors, you know, but they, they get so ner- nervous when they're actually watching the game uh, from the sideline, because I guess, cause they can't really make the same impact. But then I also got the Georgia players, some of the defensive players giving the smack talk back to Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. particularly after the interception he threw in that game. Uh, the play ends up Baker Mayfield tries to make a tackle and it was right in front of me. And then, so he is kind of out of bounds. And then the, the, Defender gets run out of bounds, and there's like three defenders that came over to tell Baker Mayfield about his interception that he had just thrown. So it was fun to see that back and forth, just kind of smack talk. Uh, you know, that's I, I like seeing that competitive fire from from players, and it would have been nice to see that in the USC game agreed. if there was actually a game going on.
1: Yeah, agreed. Okay, well we also have some breaking heard on the sidelines. I heard it from my phone. You heard it as well. Ronald Jones has now declared for the NFL draft. That's something that we kind of all knew and predicted, especially given uh, running backs kind of span in the NFL. Um, but congrats to, to Ronald Jones. He had a very successful um, USC career. Kind of sad he didn't get his due because he's not a senior, but I uh, props to him. He officially ended as number five on the all-time rushing list. Is that correct?
0: I believe so. That's what uh, the, the tweet that USC has announced out said.
1: Wow. So congrats to Ronald Jones, who has declared for the draft. That will be interesting to see him uh, where he goes in that whole regard.
0: Yeah, and USC has plenty of options at running back still. They have three guys that uh, you know have carried the ball several times this year. You also have Marquis Step is signed and is coming in the class. A big back. And USC is still looking. Maybe they'll, they'll add a second running back in that class. Uh, so you know, Ronald Jones, as we expected, is going to, to leave and go to the NFL draft. Uh, Heck of a career at USC, you know, the the Texas Tesla, as Dan Weber (laughs) nicknamed him, and has stuck, Uh, you know, was a tremendous kid to watch. Uh, As long as he has the dreads, just make sure he has the dreads, and the NFL team uh, will be happy with his performance, I'm sure.
1: Yes, for sure. Okay, anything else for her on the sideline?
0: Uh, One from basketball. Uh, Andy Anfield was asked about, you know, what uh, what are you guys going to do? Because they have two days, actually, this weekend. um, Between they play on Thursday and they play on Sunday. What are you going to do with those two days? Because Jordan Usher has so much energy. He said that we're going to lock Jordan Usher in Alcatraz just to calm him down. We're going to lock him <laughs> in there for a couple hours. I just thought it was humorous, and I tweeted it out, and I think both of his parents actually uh, you know, liked it on, on Twitter too. He, the kid has so much energy. And he's fun to watch, uh, but, but he can sometimes get out of control with how much energy. So it was fun to, to see Andy Infield uh, kind of make fun of one of his players a little bit. Uh, but like I said, I think Jordan Ester on the path to, to stardom at USC as well.
1: Interesting. I want to ask you more basketball questions, but I'm, I'm fighting the urge. So we can.
0: <laughs> we'll have we'll have future family feuds. We can do basketball family feuds too.
1: Wow. Oh, I forgot to stock up. Okay, this is gonna be hurt it too. Stock up. On the name Family Feud, Uh, can we just say that we named it pretty well? Because Jay-Z came out with a music video for his song Family Feud, and then Drake and uh, Lil Wayne did a remix of Family Feud. So we might hashtag Family Feud uh, this week and get some extra traffic thanks to Jay-Z and Drake and Lil Wayne. So stock up for our name of our podcast.
0: Yeah, that was so original from us.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it before we we (laughs) named it that. Uh, Keep it, change it. Who do you have?
0: Uh, keep it the, the Cotton Bowl hospitality. I mean, I, yes. they, I thought that th- this was the best uh, event that I've gone to to cover as far as just taking care of the reporters, the photographers. As Keeley likes to say, photographers are people too. It's
1: true. Uh, we are.
0: <laughs> so they they did a great job. They made sure that we were fed. They brought water out during the, the quarter breaks of the first and third quarters. And I thought that was a, you know, a tremendous little um, little touch that they had there. Just, you know, they, they made sure that we were taken care of it in every way that, that we needed.
1: Yeah, no, it was a A-plus, A-class organization, just all around great. I mean, a, the reason why I say photographers are people too is because usually the focus goes to the press box and then we get shoved in some little corner and it's like, hmm, here's water if you want it. And it's like, yes, please, like, please give us something. And this had, like, they had a full setup. They had people taking care of us. It was just such a great organization. I actually got to talk to the guy who organized um, the photographers at like three in the morning and he was just such a nice guy. So props to the cotton bowl. Y'all, y'all do it right. Oh, that's the other heard it. I couldn't make fun of shotgun in his accent, which I love doing. If you listen to this podcast, just cause it's shotgun, <laughs> but I couldn't because it sounded like I was making fun of a region. So I had to uh, tone down my accent, making fun of, of shotgun. So that was um, also just cause
0: it. everybody says y'all in Texas.
1: Yeah. Y'all. I like it. It's fun.
0: <laughs> uh, I got to keep it. Iman Marshall locking down one side. He looked really good. Uh, in, in the game, he's, he looked good for the last couple of weeks, so that's going to put the onus on—is he going to declare? So I had someone tell me that uh, that speaking with some mothers that Ronald Jones was definitely going to leave, and the Rasheem Green and Iman Marshall would be following. So we'll see if that comes true or not. Uh, you know, some people talk; it doesn't always mean it's true. But Iman Marshall looked really good in the last couple of games, so he's got some good game tape from previous games. You know, playing against Dante Pettis last year playing some of the Notre Dame receivers in the past, and then the way he played in the UCLA game, and then also this game, you know, maybe that's enough tape for him to go ahead and go to the NFL. I think if he were to come back and do it again next year, like I think he can, it would be better for his draft stock and be better for him, but we'll see. I thought he looked really good in this game, though.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I have heard maybe conflicting reports to you, to what you just said about Iman and uh, Rashim, but you can read the war room for that. Uh, But no, Uh, I also had to keep it the fire on the defense. Um, They had three turnovers or two turnovers and one interception, and they still came out with fire. They still played together as a unit. Um, And that's something that if USC can put that together and put that type of performance into next season, that's something that you don't want to mess with. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I had a lot more changes than keep it, so if you've Say, got any more, No, go that was it. it. That
1: was one that I stretched to put a keep it because my keep <laughs> it in my nose is actually blank. So <laughs> let's go to change it.
0: Change it. I already talked about the tempo. Uh, you know, Clay Helton, make the tough changes. The, you know, there's some areas where USC needs to improve. How you have to do that, <clears throat> if that involves, you know, making some coaching changes, that involves bringing in other people, whatever it is, make the tough changes. Don't just go with the status quo because... Hey, it's family or hey, it's people that I know really well or whatever. Sometimes you have to make the tough changes. If you want if you want your dream job to succeed, sometimes you have to put the job before your feelings for with other people. So I think that's something that may have to happen this off season. USC's gotta make some changes somewhere. I don't I don't know it doesn't necessarily have to be personnel, but there's gotta be either some offensive philosophy changes or some special teams or, or you know, if you're gonna spend that much time on special teams and practice in particular, it's gotta perform better. So either make it and cut out the special teams and just special teams, put more time into the offense defense if that's what it, you know if that's something that needs to be done but you know, you got to make some changes this offseason at USC when you don't compete very well and you know two year games you lose to Washington State uh, I, I think you got to do some different this next year so we'll see what what Clay Heldon does
1: I completely agree I think in the long run this loss might be more beneficial for USC because I feel like if USC had kind of scraped by and won this game, underlying issues that have kind of been um, swept under under the rug this season would not get really looked over. I mean, they really hyped up, oh, we're Pac-12 champions, which is an accomplishment. I'm not trying to downgrade that, but given the strength of the conference that doesn't seem that um, impressive this season, I don't know if you can really hang your hat on that. And if they had, like, squeaked a victory, I don't know if Clay Helton would have made changes that need to be changed that we've seen all season long. Um, So I think this was a brutal wake-up call that, hey, when you go up against an elite team, an elite defense, you can't get it done. Um, So I think in the long run this loss will be good for the team so that they can make those tough changes. Um, But it will be interesting to see for sure.
0: We'll see. Also check the war room for that. There's information in there about the potential coaching changes as well.
1: I had change it. Self discipline. Don't get in a stupid fight. I thought that just. I understand some guys were frustrated, um, but Jamel Cook getting in that cheap shot. I just don't. I just think it was such a bad look on all an already semi embarrassing um, national performance. Just don't get into that. Don't get into that messy stuff. Just clean it up. Don't get into stupid fight. Don't throw cheap shots. Just
0: change that completely. Uh, I also had uh, holding players more accountable. And then mm. this would come into that as well, uh, whether it be the turnovers with Sam Darnold. Like it, You know, you were talking about how you know Clay was basically trying to calm Sam down and get into play. Maybe he needed somebody to get in his face. Like You can't turn the ball over like that. You put two hands on the ball. There was just like the, the one where he, you know, where he goes up in the pocket and someone comes and hits him from behind. There was just no reason to take his second hand off the ball. He wasn't going to throw yeah. it. And he does that a lot, and that's something that, that should have been changed earlier in his career. And I think if you held him more accountable for some of those uh, turnovers, those fumbles in particular, then I think you know he would uh, you know would be receptive and make the changes. Another thing is dumb penalties, that the, the fight in particular, but, but also there's just uh, Joseph Lewis getting into a you know into a basically a scrum on a. a uh, I think it was a punt return or something. It ended up being offsetting penalties. It's not a big deal in that regard, but it's just it's, it's a dumb penalty to have. And then you're your crappy special teams, you know, you got to hold these players accountable. Hey, we need you to punt the ball deep this time. You know, we can't have a 29-yard punt. I mean, Reid is a guy I had on stock down because he's been really good at times this season. Um, and the, the reason why that K.J. Hill fumbled that ball is because he was up farther and Reid kicked it deep and he kicked a 52-yarder. But you got to be able to kick the ball, you know, in the inside the twenty, and not a twenty-nine yarder when you're kicking from the fifty or whatever it may be. So I, I thought, you know, there was just areas where the players need to be held more accountable. I felt like.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, especially yeah. your point is interesting about Darnold because. I don't think I've ever seen a coach really get mad at him or in his face. I'm um, not sure that he deserves it, but maybe just a change of pace might spark something. Um, so that, that sure. that's a, a great point. I I mean, change it, I could go on and on. There's just things that need to be changed. I, and I'm not trying to be dramatic. I just, I'm just, there's things that need to be changed. And especially on the offense. I mean, um, I, I'm just curious. I don't. I thought we might have saw something different maybe now that Tyson Helton wasn't part of the offense, but it almost just looked like there was, there was some difficulty getting the play from the booth to the field to the players. You know, Like you said, you were timing how much they stood there and looked around. I mean, I just things need to be changed.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's definitely things that need to be changed. Another one I had is, uh, is grasping the momentum changers. Mm-hmm. You've got to change the momentum changers. Uh, you know they had opportunities to get back in this game. They had opportunities, you know, whether it be the Stephen Mitchell. You know, if he can catch that touchdown, even though there's the PI, you know, he has his hands on it. If he can catch that, you know, then it changes. Like we talked about, it becomes 24-14. There's times early in the game where they had a chance to to make something happen. They're in the, you know, they're in the inside the 30 and they fumble the ball and it just, you know, they did never grabbed the momentum of that game. They had opportunities. You know, even after. Uh, you know, one of them in particular that, that stood out is the first drive in the second half. USC stops Ohio State on fourth down. I get pretty good field position. The first play, Sam Darnold misses Deontay Burnett on a on a uh, you know a crossing route where you know if he catches the ball, it probably picks up 20, 25 yards. You're down inside the thirty automatically right there. You have a chance to score, and all of a sudden this is back a game for the, the entire second half rather than you know USC ends up going three and out on the on the drive. So. There were opportunities there for USC and they didn't grasp those. Mm-hmm. I got one more: the AT&T curse. You got to change that. Ooh. You know, it's twice that they've gone and twice that they, you know, haven't performed well. And especially if you want to say that you're an elite team, because guess where the playoff, one of the playoff semifinals is next year?
1: Right back the Cotton at the Bowl, right
0: back in, at AT&T Stadium. So you know, if USC wants to, you know, be one of those Final Four teams, there's a 50% chance next year that they could be back there, and you don't want to. You don't want an Ohio State Clemson showing, you know. You don't want that thirty-one-zero. So if if they want to be, you know, an elite team and they want to compete for national championships, you got to be able to play on the big stage. And you know, that's not just at Stadium, but it has been the last two times that they've been there.
1: Yeah, I mean, how much? What do you take away from this game and how it went? And that prior to this game, some players were saying, "Well, the, the the playoff committee didn't even really give us a, a chance," or. They didn't really take us seriously. Do you think for players who thought that the CFP was possible, does this is this kind of a wake-up call that maybe the team as a whole wasn't ready?
0: You know, this Ohio State team is very good, and they could have been in the, in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, USC, like I said, there were plenty of chances there for them to be in this game, and, you know, they didn't grasp those. So it's on the team, it's on the players. To, you know make those big plays and you know some of those receivers did that with those big catches down the sideline gave them opportunities but the offense line never gave any holes and didn't give Sam Donald a ton of time so because of that they weren't able to say that yeah we could compete with this team we should have been they could have easily been right in it if there weren't for the turnovers you take away the turnovers and you know Ohio State scored 21 points off the turnovers USC scored all seven of theirs so it's a three nothing without the turnovers so it be a different game obviously. But what are you going to do when things go bad? Well, things just continue to go bad for USC. No one made that game-changing moment. Uh, and, and no one has to do that if you want to say that you're, you should be an elite team and you should have been considered in that. You had to make a statement. You didn't do that.
1: Mm-hmm. So how should, how should fans evaluate this season? I mean, we've heard it from a lot of people, this season just wasn't fun for them or it was stressful or it was a shoulda, coulda, woulda season. I mean, they are Pac-12 champions. But they have this – they end the game – they end the season on this note with this game, kind of the an antithesis of the Rose Bowl last year. How are you evaluating going into this offseason if you're a fan? How do you evaluate this season?
0: Um, I think you've got to be a little bit scared, you know, for the future because now you don't have Sam Darnold. So is this offense going to be the same? Is USC going to – I mean, they still put up great numbers. I mean, Sam Darnold's the first quarterback to throw for – USC quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. You know, there were great things that this offense did. However, they were so inconsistent when it came to being in the red zone and having opportunities to make big plays that would score points. You know, they had to settle a lot of times. Uh, so, you know, they have to play better, and you have to see this team improve in areas next season. Or, you know, you just have to start worrying about whether uh, Clay Helton is the right guy. And obviously we hope Clay Helton does well just because he, he's great with us. And we would love to cover a, a team that's competing for national championships because that's much more fun. Yes. you know, there's much more interest in it. Um, so we don't actually root for winners, but we would we approve when there are teams that are winning because it, it makes for better storylines for the most part. Or teams that are just you know batshit crazy, which is, <laughs> has been the case the last few years. You either um, have don't the last wish about USC. <laughs> So no, I,
1: don't wish that shotgun. we're we're out of the whole craziness of USC. Don't somehow curse us and we'll get back into that.
0: Oh yeah, we, we, we might just jump right back in it. You never know. No. So that's what Clay Helton has normalized things. He's he's brought a, a calm to the storm in that regard. Now, you have to see if he can take that next step and, and become a team that can compete uh, routinely for, for national championships cuz that's what, you know, is asked of and required at USC. It's not a not a place where you can go you know, now 10 wins. 10 wins used to be a huge deal because you played 11 games. Now 10 wins is a good, good marker. Now 10 wins is like 8 wins used to be. It's a good marker. Hey, we get to 10 wins. That's, that's something that is strong. But you don't want to consistently be a 10 win team. You want teams that win 11, 12, I mean 13 games uh, in a season. That's where you, you showcase and become the elite programs that, that USC is used to being
1: what I'm really curious about is who's going to step up and be a leader on the offense now, because you have Rojo leaving, you have Darnold leaving. Is that Deontay Burnett becoming more of a vocal leader? I could see Michael Pittman, maybe becoming a vocal guy. Um, total if he stays is going to be that vet guy. Um, how, I'm curious to see the quarterback situation. Who becomes a natural leader on the offense? I mean, I think that has a big say in it because Darnold from the beginning had that leadership ability um, to lead guys even when uh, Max was in the picture. So I'm curious who, how that leadership stuff uh, shakes out.
0: Well, don't put it beyond JT Daniels if he were to win the job. I mean, he is a guy that has gone down to San Antonio and really impressed. So there's an opportunity for him to, to actually win that job. But he's also gone down there basically just to recruit he's a kid that that knows uh and, and you know knows what he wants and, and you know goes out and gets it as far as you know getting helping out at the other recruits but also at modern day he was the centerpiece of that offense and he led that team you know he had great pieces around him but he was the guy he was able to call his own plays at the time i mean he is a a very cerebral quarterback but also has some athleticism he's a, a, a different cat at, you know when it comes to the quarterback position We'll see if he gets the opportunity, you know, and how quickly, if he does earn that, how quickly can he be a guy that takes over the huddle and becomes that guy? It's hard for a freshman to do that, but we'll see. I mean, that's that's a guy that I would look at and be curious to see. Amon Ross, St. Brown, as well, if he were to come to USC, I think he is a guy that, you know, is very vocal and, you know, is very emotional and plays with that motion. That's something USC hasn't really had. They need, they need some players to play with some motion uh, and c- controlled emotion. Let's put it that way, controlled yeah. emotion, because times it just seems like, You know, even Ronald Jones is a guy that, you know, he scores a touchdown and he tosses the ball and he slaps the helmet with the offensive lineman. That's it. You know, uh, without Juju this year, without Darius, they just didn't really have that uh, emotional leader. So we'll see if that changes this next year.
1: Yeah, they definitely need an emotional leader. I think that it can be said after seeing the season as a whole. Um, But the interesting thing about JT Daniels is that he's coming in fall camp. He's not coming in spring. So Fink and Sears already kind of have a head start and now they'll have a, a bigger head start. Um, with the team as far as leadership goes. So I'm very curious to see how all this um, breaks down. It'll be interesting. It, it definitely got way more interesting at USC. So we'll see.
0: There'll be plenty of storylines in this season to come.
1: Yep, that's for sure. Um, wow, any final thoughts? I mean, we're getting to the... It, well, I mean, we're not getting to. It is the end of the 2017 season. We're Like we said uh, earlier, we're going to have a full-on 2017 Family feuds, stock up, stock down, all that good stuff. So it will—I'm sure—will be tons of feuding because you and I don't agree on these things.
0: Uh, that will be feuding for sure.
1: <laughs> Any final thoughts from this game, this season, to close out this podcast?
0: I think USC knows where they stand. They, you know, they, this was a kind of a wake-up call. This is where your place is right now. You're not a top four, not a top echelon team. Uh, you know, after coming off that Rose Bowl and all this hype and expectation. Now they had an opportunity. They didn't show it. Now they have to go back to the drawing board and get back to work. And, you know, I, I think that'll be some motivation going into the offseason. So I think there'll be plenty of storylines coming up. But this team has to, uh, you know, go back and, and realize that, hey, if we want to be that national championship caliber team, we got some work to do.
1: I agree. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this Family Feud episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, for Shotgun, I'm Keely, and we'll see you next week.
0: Peace.